you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is The Incredible Hulk, Episode 2, The Hulk Must Die, covering a period of The Incredible Hulk from 1964 to 1967. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Hulk host, Alex Lear. Perfect. Uh, Okay, so this is going to be a long episode because this period of The Incredible Hulk in Tales to Astonish is when he had 10-page stories. So if we take each of these 10-page stories one at a time, we could be talking about the Hulk for a long time. So we're going to see how far we get when we're halfway through, and maybe we'll have to call it and cut it into two episodes. But uh, what do you think, Alex? Do you think we'll uh, be able to plow through this, or should we take our time? I, I think, you know, yeah, like you said, we can see where we're at, like in an hour or so, because we, yeah, we don't want to bore the masses, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but we also don't want to shortchange the Hulk, because the Hulk wouldn't like that very much. That is all. That is all too true. Yes, <laughs> you wouldn't like it when he's angry. Yeah. So tell tell me what issues are we talking about today in this episode? I, I would say it's safe to say we're going to cover Tales to Astonish sixty through seventy nine. The first uh, first half of this book. Okay. And if we're happening, if we're going super fast, we could go all the way to ninety six. But I guess we'll for now we'll aim for ninety seven uh, seventy nine. I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's do that. Can you bring us up to speed? Since because uh, in the first episode, it was uh, we covered the first six issues of the Hulk, and then the title was canceled, and Hulk had a bunch of guest appearances. Where are we now in the history of the Hulk? Well, okay, so he's um, after Avengers five and Astonish fifty nine. We see him back in the desert, hanging out with Betty and her dad, General Ross, and uh, so a lot of the cast from the first six issues is brought back anyway before the Hulk's second series here begins. I mean, he was in number 59 as a, making a guest appearance um, fighting Giant Man and the Wasp. I think it was kind of a test spot too, sort of like uh, over at um, Tales of Suspense 58 where they brought in Captain America for an issue um, and then his series began. Um, so, so that's pretty much it. You know, Hulk is back. Um, finally has his, his own series with number 60. Um, we haven't, you know, we've been seeing quite a bit of him anyway the past year and a half since this series was canceled. Uh, the first six issues, you know, he's made a lot of guest appearances. Um, he was an Avenger for a while. Um, but now, yeah, he's finally finally got his own series again by popular demand. And at first he's sharing the the book with Ant-Man, and then he then Ant-Man, I guess, gets canceled, yeah. and then he's sharing the book of the book with uh, with the Submariner. So, right, and, yeah. uh, but they don't really cross over. Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, as far as um, only in number 84 do you see the crossover between Hulk and Submariner. But um, otherwise, yeah, two independents. And of course, number, well, next time we speak, number 100, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Right, of course. Yeah, otherwise, a two independent series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and what's nice about this book is we can kind of jump right into it, and it starts uh-huh. the, kind of, I think, I feel like the nice thing about the Hulk, just in general, 
is that he's always just kind of jumping from place to place and he always is having fresh starts <laughs> because of just the nature of his character so there are multiple right. points with even within this book that you could just jump in open up any random issue and pretty much just go right in and see what's going on and uh, uh and enjoy the hulk i think that that is true i mean of course a lot of you know, stories were geared that way back then. You know, you could come in and you know, totally unaware and then pick it right up um, without having to know what really went, went on before. What is interesting with this one, though, is it's uh, pretty much from Hulk, well, Astonish, 60 through um, 91. It's really actually one continuous story. Like every, um, it does sort of like where you leave him off in one episode continues into the next. And uh, so it's just kind of thinking about like, wow, for pretty much for 32 months, <laughs> it's like this the story I mean definitely different chapters to that story um, but it really it's it's interesting to see how what a long story it ends up being and that's very unusual for Marvel Comics at this time to have kind of that ongoing very heavily serialized kind of soap opera style um, storytelling right because even in the pages of like yeah. Fantastic Four where the the stories would continue he they would normally be just like two issues right. storylines or something like that Exactly. I mean, given the fact the Hulk had only 10 pages in this one, you know, obviously it kind of begs the need to stretch, you know, stretch out the, you know, can't get it all into 10, 10 pages, so you have to, you kind of have to go into the next issue. But, um, you know, they definitely did that yeah. <laughs> with this one, with this series. So it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, in this book um, to see the different artists, and then we, we kind of experienced that with the first volume. But, um, you know, Stanley, of course, wrote everything, but, um, you know, you definitely get a, an amazing array of artists in this book. You know, a lot of um, you know the key the key people at Marvel at the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, very familiar and famous names. Um, just to have one book yeah. that has you know Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby um, in it together mm -hmm. is just great. And it's nice, you know, by the end you're seeing uh, Marie Severin. You know, who'd end up being she ended up being one of like the, the big Hulk artists. I think you know mm -hmm. she's well remembered as that. And, so you definitely, and you see kind of an evolution of art in a way too, um, kind of like the style of it as we get to this, we go from 1964 through 67. Yeah, that's true. So before we jump into the issues, I just want to mention that I put a call up for people to talk about this book and the, the issues within and kind of give their comments or feedback about the about what we see of the Hulk here and uh, I didn't really get any response except for one guy uh, my friend Riker online here says I haven't read these stories in about 15 years but they mean the world to me because having been away from comics for a decade or so it was reading these in Essential Hulk that rekindled my love of Marvel and got me back to reading and collecting again so that's high praise for these books or for these stories oh yeah definitely and especially reading the Essentials I remember those are you know, the, the black and white phone mm -hmm. book style books <laughs> glad the epics finally came out in the you know, with, with full color, but um, yeah, the essentials were a great way at the time. To, you know, good, um, low budget way to to get a lot of comics. You know, and uh, embrace these stories for the first time. Well, and that's what I love about the epics as well. It's still it's it's the same yeah. mantra except it's yeah. in color this time. It's like get lots of comics for yeah. a good price. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. We should come up with the idea twenty years ago, but oh well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got it now. <laughs> I also asked a question on Twitter, and I said, The Incredible Hulk was penciled by many different people during the Tales to Astonish era, 
And not counting Kirby or Ditko, who drew the best Hulk in Tales to Astonish? And my options were John Buscema, Gil Kane, Marie Severin, and Bill Everett. Uh, what's your pick? That's a good question. I would probably... Um, I'm a big John Buscema fan. Um, I think he... I might lean toward him because when we get to that point, um, you kind of see the beginnings of what the Hulk would look like in the 70s. Uh, the, like the later 60s and the 70s, he's got longer hair. Um, and I think it's because it's sort of a forerunner of what the Hulk ultimately would look like and it's kind of like that 70s incarnation. You know, I like that a lot. Marie Severin had a, had a great style too. So those two are my favorites. So probably, yeah, John Buscema, I'd, I'd go with him. Okay. Yeah, it's a toss-up, I think. I, I think I'm going to go with Marie Severin. Just, I loved those issues that she did in this book here. They're just so fantastic. Um, a lot of great yeah. moody lighting and um, and detail that some of the others don't don't have there. Uh, John Buscema is great, and I sure. totally see what you're mentioning about uh, developing kind of uh, his style for the 70s. You, you absolutely can see that. Mm. Um, this is not John's mm. best work. I think maybe because it's some of his earlier work and maybe tied to the the anchor that he had as well um, wasn't wasn't my favorite. So I'm going to go with Marie. I don't know. This might have been John's first uh, 60s work for Marvel. I, I, um, he started with Avengers a little bit later, I think a few months later. Um, of course, I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but um, but that's a good point. I mean, it's he's, it's definitely not the, the great John Buscema, not, not, not quite that level yet that we're used to seeing. So the results, uh, 8% of the votes went to Gil Kane, 23% <laughs> went to Bill Everett, 31% went to John Buscema, and 38% with the win here, it went to Marie Severin. Well, yeah. Cool. There we go. And coincidentally, <laughs> on the day that we are recording this right now, uh, which is um, the 21st of August, is Marie Severin's birthday. Hey! Well, she that's is awesome. 92, <laughs> I think, this year. Wow, that'll... Jeez, <laughs> it's hard to believe, wow. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, almost as old as Stan. Jeez. <laughs> Why don't we get into the issues yeah. now? <laughs> let's start Let's start our uh, trek good. through Tales to Astonish. Yeah. We're starting with Tales to Astonish number 60. And this one is just mm-hmm. titled The Incredible Hulk. It's the first issue of his regular yeah. ongoing series. And in this one, a mystery worker steals an experimental robot armor built by Bruce Banner and then uses it to battle the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically Pretty simple. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to having 10-page stories. The, the plots are fairly straightforward. But this is a Steve Ditko art. George Bell Inks. Something I was going to say about George Bell, you may realize this, um, George Russos was his, his real name. Right. Um, so uh, George Bell was the, the pen name, I guess, at the time. Now, was this because um, he was working for a, a rival company or something like that at the same time? Good question. I, I don't know that, yeah. Um, I just remember seeing his name sort of... It's it a good question. I mean, like, you know, Adam Austin becoming Gene Colan. Right. Um, or what was... Who was the X-Men? J... Uh, oh, Jay Gavin, yeah. Yeah, Jay uh, Gavin's as Runner Roth. Roth. Yeah. So we'll, we'll find later in this book, too, um, Mickey Demio, or Demio, ended up being uh, Mike Esposito. So it's kind of cool, huh? Oh, really? I did not realize that one. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that's who he was, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, one, one thing that's great about this issue is that, uh, um, you know, this is where 
we finally established that it's um, anger and stress that causes um, Boost to turn into the Hulk. And uh, it's nice to finally have some streamlining because, you know, just reading the first six issues and um, the Avengers and other uh, appearances of the Hulk, I mean, they're just all these almost like different permutations of him. And, you know, really, like I think we talked about last time, and like I think it was the creators trying to figure out exactly what to do <laughs> with the character. So I think, you know, it's nice now that he's finally got his own series, there's finally a, you know, it's established how it is he transforms, you know, why it happens, which makes it, a, I mean, that's a really key element in the character, the whole anger and stress part of it. Yeah, this first issue really plays up the stress part. It's not it's not anger per se, but it's just the anxiety mm. of being in an intense situation that triggers yep. the transformation. That's true. Yep. And then it's also when the anxiety gets even worse, he trans he transforms back mm. to Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's something they kind of uh, they they change later on, obviously. But uh, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's funny it, looking at this book. I mean, there's there's this kind of like. Well, what they, you might want to edit this out, but like the resting bitch face kind of thing. But the whole kind of has this look on page one, um, just the way he's drawn, you know, on page, last panel on page four, this is kind of bland, emotionless appearance. Like the sixth panel on uh, page six, same thing. It's just kind of a, you know, obviously the the, the development, I mean, they were really developing the style here, but uh, it's just a, I'll probably blame this more on George than I will Steve, as far as the art goes, but. Random observation, right? Because we saw Steve do uh, a really capable Hulk in the earlier um, in the first volume, mm. um, and so yeah, yeah, this one just looks like a person's face. He's not very monstrous, right? Right? Yeah. yeah Steve was definitely at his best thinking himself. Yeah, this was definitely. I mean, yeah, number sixteen sixty one would have been probably one good single issue on their own. Yeah, the robot just you know it's kind of funny. We never know. Who he, who, you know, who the person is inside, just some anonymous character. We never see him again after '61. Just a kind of a nobody. <laughs> Do you want to give us a quick recap uh, of what issue number '61 is? Yeah, number '61 is called "Captured at Last," so it's the second part of the story. And basically, what's very important with number '61 here is the first appearance of, um, of Major Glenn Talbot, who ends up being a very key um, character in the Hulk series. Up until I think, 19, I think he dies in 1981, and you know, obviously a key uh, love interest potentially for Betty. So it's um, we start to see the beginnings um, of a kind of a romantic triangle there, which really develops and gets very interesting in the early 70s. So it's good to see some of these elements being introduced. You know, like the stress being the motivator for, or being the, the trigger for the transformation. Yeah, the major Talbot being coming into the series. It's kind of funny. The uh, the Hulk gets knocked into this uh, this crevice in number sixty, and then he—that's how he defeats uh, the robot in sixty-one. Of course, this one's a bottomless hole, bottomless pit, I guess. So uh, that's that's how that wraps up. And then, of course, he gets captured at the end, and that leads into number sixty-two. Mm-hmm. He even gets captured by the army. Um, I like Glenn Talbot's character because he is. Mm-hmm. I think they introduce him to be a counterpoint to General Ross because General Ross is he acts on impulse he's brash he's hot-headed Glenn Talbot is much more uh, calm and composed and thinks a little bit more with his mind so we get a nice a nice contrast between the two characters there who are both after Hulk but have completely different methods on how to do it 
Yeah, that's true. And and Talbot, you know, certainly has that strong suspicion that Banner's wrapped up in somehow and is a traitor or whatever, you know. Um definitely seems to have it in for Bruce, you know, early on. So, right. But that's a good good point you make about the, the you know, him and um in general, yeah. Okay, yeah, we can move on to issue number yeah. 62, okay. which is called Enter the Chameleon. And uh, in this one here, the leader, someone named, mysterious figure named the leader, sends the, the chameleon to check up on the spy that was in, in the army base who was the one in the the armor. Right. But the chameleon then pretends to be Bruce, and he finds the bomb. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it here. So th- this is cool because um, the chameleon, of course, is from Spider-Man comics, famously from Spider-Man number one. This right. might be his second appearance. I don't know if he's appeared. He did. Yeah, he showed up. Let me see. He he was in Spider-Man fifteen. That was um that was a uh, the August '64 issue. So a few months before this one. Oh, okay. Um, he also he was also in Suspense uh, '58. Along with Craven the Hunter. Oh, of course. Um, but this would be, yeah. But this is the next one after that. So, uh, you know, of course, you mentioned the leader. I mean, you know, here we are, like, um, you know, the third issue of the series, and we don't actually see the leader's face in this one. I don't think it's just no. the cameo appearance. But um, yeah, we see. Okay, right. But you know, it's obviously the leader ends up becoming the Hulk. You know, might be his arch nemesis, certainly one of his key um, villains. And so, you know, it's already like, you know, kind of three for three. You've got like some, some important element of the the Hulk story being introduced in the series. Yeah, I feel like whereas the original six issues kind of, uh, they didn't really know what direction to go in. And so they kind of went in a whole bunch of yeah. different directions. Uh, right off the bat with these first three issues, it, it feels like Stan really has an idea of where he wants to go. And I don't know how much input um steve had in this direction yeah. or if he if, sure. if it was he was just doing the artwork i don't know what the relationship was between the two of them here but uh there definitely is a more grounded and and specific tone that they're trying to establish here yeah uh, you're just noticing on um what's nice at the end of number 62 is a really great uh jack kirby pinup and of course that was common to um, all the titles at this point having a, a marvel masterwork pinup at the end of the issue Yes, yeah, so 63, um, A Titan Rides the Train, it's called. Now, this one, we not only get the origin of the leader, but we actually see his face for the first time. And, you know, it's cool that we, I think this is the second gamma-powered character that we meet, obviously the Hulk being the first, but um, this time it's interesting because instead of expanding his power, his, his physical power, this, this um, the leader's exposure to gamma radiation expands his mental power. Makes for an interesting... Uh, foe for, for the Hulk, you know, someone who doesn't rely on brute strength to win, but um, relies on his, his evil genius. <laughs> yeah. Again, another counterpoint kind of relationship, like uh, the Talbot-Ross yep. uh, relationship. It's kind of like how I feel the, uh, the relationship between uh, Superman and Lex Luthor is as well. Because Superman... Mm has yeah. the strength he embodies kind of uh, physical strength and then Luthor uses his mind it's kind of a similar thing there that's right that's right yeah you know it's interesting that the leader I don't think he was really out to get the Hulk you know to, to destroy him or anything he just really wants to capture him at this point so it's, it finds the Hulk more of a fascinate, fascination you know it's, uh, well yeah right there on um, page 6 um, the final panel saying that he thought he was the leader thought he was the only one like this but he finds out that the Hulk is also someone else who's who's also impacted by gamma radiation and yeah at this point so. they kind of he just wants to team up with the hulk 
because they're like kindred spirits right. since they're both green-skinned. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, of course, this issue introduces us to the humanoid. The leaders, uh, what would you call me? It's like an android, I guess. The humanoid, of course, turns out to be uh, a wee-wee humanoids and different versions going forward, too. So, of course, the issue ends with poor old Bruce and, and locked away. <laughs> being suspected for being a traitor to this country. It's kind of sad. <laughs> um, I remember this issue, um, long before I ever read these early Hulk comics, I watched the Marvel Superheroes show on TV, the one from 1966. And yeah, those yeah. those episodes were just, they basically just took these panels and cut them out and, and animated them very simplistic, simplistically. And this whole story right. with the train and the humanoids uh, was one of those episodes, and I can remember um, vividly some of these panels uh, that that were used directly wow. into the in the in the show. Yeah. So that's uh, that's, that's kind of cool. fun, and I it was fun to uh, go back and <laughs> experience it again, but the real version this time. Yeah, I've done you know I've done that before. Like I've sat down um, with like you know one of these books in hand and watched one of those episodes, and like try to compare you know like watching the book you know looking comparing the book to the to the TV show and just seeing how you know, what panels they used, how they changed this or that, and it's kind of a neat way to you can you can you know, cover a lot of the early Marvel universe by watching watching that show or watching the you know the different shows they had mm-hmm. as part of this series. So yeah, I mean, I uh, my first exposure to these stories were um, from Hulk Annual two, three, and four, which um, actually covers a lot of a lot of this book. So it's a uh, it was nice to finally you know, get the see the original issues and read those and, and then you know see them beautifully reproduced here. If you go to page forty-seven on the in the book, which is page seven of this story, yeah, the Hulk yeah. is tossed <laughs> yeah. off a train and then in mid-air he completely yeah what it says um, possessing the mightiest muscles of every li- every living mortal, he performs a seemingly impossible feat by sheer brute power alone. By actual muscle control, he forces his flying body to lift itself up over the solid stone trestle. He changes direction mid-air yeah. just by sheer brute that's, force. <laughs> that, that's badass. Yeah, that's, I'm wondering if this might have been a situation where Stan was trying to um, decipher what Steve had drawn. And I was like, how do I explain this? <laughs> yeah, that's probably what that is. <laughs> if you flip the page, I love the little bit of humor there. The man driving the car says, Note, the, the, uh-huh. the man driving under the Hulk will soon be known as the biggest liar in his entire neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, we can move over to issue number 64. Okay, let's move on to number 64. It's called The Incredible Hulk Battles the Horde of Humanoids. And this is uh, an ep- So we forgot to mention that Bruce Wayne has been captured in the last episode, and he's in this cell. And he's, he has tranquilizers that are keeping him from changing into the Hulk. But the funny thing here is that Rick Jones goes to see the President of the United States, explains the whole situation, yeah. and the President... Yeah. Um, gives an official pardon to to Bruce Banner. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, LBJ becomes the second person to, besides Rick, to know Bruce's secret. Yeah, and he uh, and he does it. He pardons him a couple times, I think, through this book. But yeah, uh, yeah in this one, yeah. then he he gets out, and and Hulk 
or Bruce tries to uh, um, save that, get that train back because it has the rocket. But the leader oh. sends a whole ton of yes. um, humanoids, and uh, they all kind of overpower right. him. Right, right, exactly. Um, yeah, instead of just fighting the one in number sixty-three, now we've got yeah the whole the whole gang, and uh, they prove to be too much for him. It looks like, or, or so it seems. You know, um, it's kind of a <laughs> kind of a cool image of uh, the fight on the beach with the moon. And, That's a know. great image. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It really gives you the sense um, that they're like it, this is an endless battle that he's fighting right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I love the name of the weapon. It's called the nuclear absorbitron. It's supposed to absorb <laughs> nuclear uh, energy or nuclear power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the antidote to the A bomb. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so there are a couple of other things that that stand still working on here in the first few issues of this book. Uh, when the Hulk is the Hulk, he can still pretty much talk like a normal person. And then when yeah, we get to this true, issue, true. Stan is really trying to drive it home that the Hulk can't really think very fast, mm. that he's really uh, yeah. he's really slow and kind of dim-witted. He says that yeah. a couple times throughout the dialogue. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at uh, uh, page eight, uh, the final panel, um, where he almost starts referring to himself in the third person. You know, it's kind of a certainly one of those things that I've, as a as a lifelong Hulk reader, have found kind of frustrating with uh, some of these. The early years of the Hulk was just a. Uh, I think depending on the author, it would be you know the Hulk would talk sort of differently. And I mean, reading in the letters pages though, sometimes you'd have people writing in complaining about Hulk sounding too dumb. So you know, could you make him sound smarter? And <laughs> so they do that and. Of course, there'd be other reasons that he would sound smarter too, which we'll get into in the next few issues. But just a strange little anecdote: I met uh, Len Wein, you know, Hulk um, writer in the '70s. Um, met him at a comic convention once, and uh, said, "Thank you for ma- for finally, you know, making the Hulk's language consistent. You know, like the way the way the Hulk spoke, which was very much the Hulk smash, all this stuff. But at least he was consistent the way he did it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I guess he appreciated that. But." Uh, yeah, so anyway, but that's a good point. I mean, they're kind of working their way into the Hulk sounding a little bit uh, dumber. And yeah, you want to, any more you want to say about 64? You want to move on? To no, let's move on. You can take the next one. Um, this one's called On the Rampage Against the Reds. You know, the Incredible Hulk on the Rampage Against the Reds. Now, uh, this time we have a different uh, anchor. Instead of George Russo's, we have Vic Ayers, uh, who we, um, actually was the anchor on like, uh, Hulk 3, 4, and 5, I want to say. Um, Backing up Jack Kirby. Um, so a little bit of a different style this time. I mean, it's still that kind of Steve Ditko feel, but a little bit, uh, a little bit differently delivered with it, with these inks. Hulk goes behind uh, enemy lines in Russia, is forced to labor for them, and ends up meeting a Professor Strom, a geophysicist, <laughs> who's another um, prisoner of theirs. Oh, and then he also meets, uh, let me see, meets another guy there, too. These different guys, yeah. Well, anyway, but there's there's someone else he befriends here, another prisoner. His fate ends up uh, triggering. Now, I wonder if you could say this is stress, or if this is maybe the first time the anger kind of derives such transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've kind of so then Hulk um, kicks butt and takes names after that, and <laughs> so continuing on the the fact that uh, Stan is trying to emphasize the Hulk's small mind uh, now. Hulk right. speaks in broken English. 
it's kind of an overnight switch. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, he's, yeah, right. he's saying things like, uh, uh, he doesn't have too many lines in this, but at the very end, uh, mm. no more talk. Don't need nothing. I'm the Hulk. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Don't need nothing. So yeah, he's definitely uh, undergoing a little bit of a of a transformation here mentally. <laughs> it's cool to see Dick Ayers inks in this one because it does, like you said, it does give it yeah. a very different feel. And I feel like um, yeah. he kind of works with uh, or plays with Dick uh, with Steve Ditko's proportions, like body proportions stuff, and maybe even changes or corrects things because Steve can be a little loose with his body proportions um, and just his anatomy in yeah. general and uh, it just uh, I think yeah, things look true. a little tighter here it's kind of another you know just sort of typical superhero or super character versus the, uh, the Russians kind of story that was pretty prevalent, That's pretty prevalent all throughout the 60s yeah <laughs> a good, uh, good uh, villain yeah yep Number 66 is called The Power of Dr. Banner. Uh, and here we go, another, a different inker this time, uh, Vince Coletta, who I think is most yep. notable for his inks on Thor. Yeah. This time I inking Steve Ditko. So we get another another look at uh, how inking really changes the style of the pencils. Oh, sure. But yeah. in this one here, yeah, yeah. the Hulk destroys the Russians, basically. <laughs> he rampages <laughs> through all of Russia and just kind of takes them all out. And um, I find in this one, Betty has a an interesting talk with her dad. She she has this weird assumption that she and Bruce are in a relationship, I feel. Yeah. And she refers to him as the man I love on page five. Yeah. Yeah, and in one of the issues we just talked about, I didn't mention this, but she she assumes that she has a relationship. She says to something like, Bruce, why won't you tell me? I, of all people, deserve to know, or something like that. Um, it's like, you don't yeah. like you don't deserve to know because you're not actually in a relationship with him. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, his uh, uh, Facebook status was definitely single at this point. Yeah, I think so. Um, Bruce's was. <laughs> but yeah, this, I wonder if this might be the first time we... Uh, I have to go back and check, but uh, the first time that you know, the Betty calls Bruce the man I love, but um, God, I remember how many times you know going forward, he would, you know, General Ross would be saying how he was going to you know destroy the Hulk, and of course once Betty finds out that you know, Bruce is the Hulk, she'd be like, but if you do that, you'll be destroying the man I love. And it's like, oh my God, it just it, it would get a little nauseating after hearing that fifty times, but. Later on in this book, she she and her dad have that same conversation, but Glenn is always, his thought bubble is always, I know I must destroy the Hulk, but how can Betty right. still love him? Or, you know, he's his thoughts are always, um, I love Betty, and how can, yeah. how can I carry on knowing that she loves the Hulk? <laughs> it's just, it's very, very repetitive. <laughs> yeah, I think for the first few years, it's still, you know, even with this series, it's still a little bit touch and go, but um, I don't think it's until the 70s we really start seeing um well i find that the series gets a lot more interesting in the 70s than, than at this point but it's still you know these are the formative years and trying to figure out what to do with it mm -hmm. yeah which is cool it's funny villain in this issue reminds me a lot of um stalin kind of, <laughs> i <laughs> think that's probably intentional <laughs> probably the point right yeah <laughs> the ending is kind of strange because it's uh you almost kind of end with like a this big splash panel so this is i mean they use this this issue to end um, I think it was Hulk Annual 2 when they reprinted this but um, 
it's almost like it, like the, the pacing of the story it just seemed kind of strange the way it, the way it ended it's like one page just showing him falling to the ground yeah the pacing was a little different but I really felt like this is the first time the first issue out of all of the first volume and this volume here that I really truly felt like the Hulk is the Hulk as we know him Okay. Like all of the yeah. the way he talks, yeah. the way he thinks, the way he acts, it's all kind of yeah. been evolving over time to this point here, where I feel like now this is actually classic Hulk. Especially like yeah, look at a number, page nine of this. I mean, the way he's speaking, beauty insects, yeah, none can kill Hulk. You know, all that stuff. I mean, that's very. You're right. That's definitely very Hulk. Something they would change up, but they keep coming back to. You know, mm-hmm. certainly. Um, yeah, and he and in this also in this page when he's jumping up, he smashed a tank and he's holding on to the the turrets of the tank, and he jumps into the air oh, yeah, and throws yeah. those turrets into the uh, into the planes, bring him to the ground. Like that's a pretty good move right there. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah, a lot of action. Any more to say? You want to move nope. on? To Let's do 67? it. This one is called uh, "Where Strides the Behemoth." What I like about the cover here, of course, is um, that they use this image of the Hulk later on as a, um, the, uh, what they call it, shoot, the, um, the corner box. That's this corner box image for the next, for the change a little bit up, I think, but um, that's for the next few years. Um, okay. Maybe, I don't know if they did, even did it in here or not, like during the Astonished days, but certainly when the Hulk, you know, back in, you know, in 68, when Tales Astonished becomes the Incredible Hulk, that's the the image they use for the corner box. So it's kind of cool just to see where it started. And you know, and, and the funny thing is, of course, if you're looking at the corner box of number sixty-seven, um, the Hulk's face in that is the exact same face from Hulk number one. Just um, some useless trivia there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Get another inker in this one. Uh, Frank Ray is, a, I think, a Frank Guy Coya or Gia Coya. I, I don't know how you. Oh really? How you pronounce that? But um, okay. Yeah, he's a pretty good. I think he was one of Hulk's best inkers during this point. I went one of Marvel's best inkers, or both. Yeah. yeah, in fact, I think I like the inks a lot more in this in this issue, and I probably have the past few issues a little bit tighter. But this time, of course, he Hulk leaves Russia, ends up um, in Asia, I believe, and uh, I don't know if he's in Mongolia or. I think Mongolia. That's what I was thinking. Because it borders Russia. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Hulk continuing his his world tour. Of course, this time. Uh, Major Talbot actually flies out there to. So, well, yeah, they have Banner as a, as a hostage, I guess, so, um, holding him for ransom. So, uh, Major Talbot goes out there to get him. And <laughs> it's funny, uh, Banner is a huge grin um, on panel five of page nine. You know, just to, it's kind of like a funny to see levity with Bruce Banner, but um, <laughs> uh, kind of the, the relationship that he and, and Talbot have. Yeah, this one not only ends on a cliffhanger, but a, a cliff. Um, Faller, I guess. I mean, that's a, <laughs> a very ominous ending to this this, this issue. <laughs> this is Steve Ditko's final issue um, after yes. this Kirby returns, and I think that uh, this is because Ditko leaves Marvel. Is that right? Not quite yet. It was he was still with Marvel for another year at this point. But, oh, really? Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's a good question. I wonder why they they switched him off um, and put Jack back on it, but. I will say, you know, I, I do think that Kirby was the better Hulk artist on this. I mean, I think his, I mean, obviously did go, you know, a tremendous artist too. I just think the, the Kirby, you know, just had the real feel for the monster. Um, yeah, did a great job with that. So I was really happy to, you know, reading through these for the first time. I was happy to see Jack sort of back on the series. 
can, let's move on to 68. Okay, great. So this one, you know, is called uh, Back from the Dead, and you know, just the opening panel there is just a very... Uh, it's so good. Yeah. It's really the first time that we're seeing... Um, well, I was trying to think if we'd seen Banner much without glasses. Um, he's got kind of a... looks kind of heroic, the final panel of page four. Reminds me, you know, again, kind of alluding to the 70s, I and mean, he kind of like, you know, we would know Bruce exclusively without glasses in the 70s, and um, in their early 80s and um, just like how Peter Parker lost his glasses you know it's um, Bruce Banner was you know, getting close to I guess <laughs> losing his anyway oh uh, yeah I didn't even it's a pace to be a superhero yeah. I've never even realized that Peter Parker wore gl- yeah now that I think about it of course he wore glasses when he was a kid but he classically doesn't have them now yeah. do they explain that or do they right, just drop exactly. it they do explain it because in uh, yeah number 8 Flash Thompson uh um, he, and Peter get in a fight. Peter breaks his glasses, and then, um, but then he's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't need them anymore anyway," because the the, the spider power basically enhances his eyesight as well. Right, so. right. Yeah, I remember that's what they said in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I guess they have to make that kind of change because, like, if if Peter needs his glasses, he can't wear the glasses when he has the mask on. And I have found it continuously ridiculous that the Hulk turns back into Bruce Banner, he goes to the army base, and I guess they have a stash of glasses there for him, because they always seem, he always seems to get back into his clothes and his glasses <laughs> every single time. <laughs> and a stash of purple pants as well. Yes, very important. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's, you know, I, uh, it's funny how Bruce over time goes from being like this really wimpy kind of scientist type to being a little bit more of kind of a, a hero, kind of in his own right. Um, mm-hmm drawn a little more muscular and you know, like you know that kind of thing so yeah this is a I really like the panel uh, on page panel five of page six just uh, the, the coloring there with the Bruce grabbing the the, jail, the bars of the, the jail cell and, yeah um, the yellow eyes and the red skin it's kind of pretty cool but um, you know, it's nice to nice to see Rick Jones in this a lot too like I know during this time he's hanging out with um, Captain America a bit as well in the Avengers it's kind of, I think he's kind of jumping back and forth between those two. Again, you know, more humanoids. It's been yeah, that one that was really cool. I love this idea yeah. that they're just microscopic, and he just kind <laughs> of uh, um, he dusts the 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 land where the Absorbatron is with all of these humanoids, and then they grow. <laughs> it's just it's a what yeah. a sight that is. <laughs> yeah, instead of fighting, instead of having four to fight this time, he's got a huge army. <laughs> What's kind of neat about this one is that I think this is this is one of the covers I think where for whatever reason this issue doesn't have its own cover art. Like uh, you'll notice uh, page ten or page, well yeah page ten of the story, the first panel, the Hulk there. That's exactly the same. Well, not almost exactly the same images that you see on the cover. Right. And yeah. I think the same can be said for the Giant Man story as well in this issue that they just kind of borrow some art from the man and use that in the cover. So I kind of wonder why that was. The president pardons Bruce again in this one. Oh. <laughs> um, this time Talbot goes to the to the president, but the president uh, doesn't say anything to him. <laughs> He's like yeah. he keeps a secret. Um, but yeah, pulls <laughs> pulls him. Oh, oh, I know what I was going to say. The on page um, three, Hulk leaps yeah. from island to island all the way back to America <laughs> across the across the Pacific Ocean. It's amazing. <laughs> that feels a little far fetched. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. How exactly he did that? I guess there are just so many islands 
that that's how you, you know, should do it. So yeah, yeah, wow, <laughs> that is a long way. Yeah, that's a uh, the GPS wasn't working too well that day. You know that maybe there, there might have been a better way to get back, but <laughs> um, but yeah, something else I thought I was going to say. I, I was kind of wondering if the, the the readers by this point were getting sick of the leader you know, after. Uh, you know, he, he might be only that. Well, I mean, he kind of, although he's been like the, the consistent villain, even though we've had other villains too in past few issues. But, um, but the leader hasn't really even done anything yet. Really like kind of playing as, you know, kind of sit, sitting back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just playing his hand, uh, he, like he's slowly unveil, unveiling his plan, and uh, it hasn't even happened yeah. yet. So the, this next issue is actually <laughs> the one where we get to see him actually do some stuff. Um, issue number seven, uh, 69. Yeah. Trapped in the lair of the leader, the the humanoids yeah. overcome the Hulk, and um, and then they take him back to the leader, and take the Absorbitron back as well, um, to his secret right. cave hideout, and he tries to wake the Hulk, <laughs> who is kind of knocked unconscious, but um, isn't able to do it. What's kind of cool about this issue is that uh, meanwhile in Avengers Seventeen, um, the new team is formed over there, and. And their big mission is, I think Iron Man tells Captain America in the end of 16 before Iron Man leaves the team that, uh, you know, find a Hulk. you got to find a Hulk. So, um, But instead of the Hulk guest starring in number 17 of Avengers, he, they just pull panels from Astonish 69 and implant them into Avengers 17. Really? Um, like the like the panel in uh, the middle of on page 3, um, where you see Hulk being kind of dragged, pulled through space or whatever. That was That's one you see in number um, Avengers 17. And uh, so I think uh, Avengers 17 sort of almost ends with a little bit with a kind of a cliffhanger, or that's one of the last panels in Avengers 17 is where we see a banner shot at the end of this issue, where they say he's dead, gentlemen. The traitor is dead. Huh. Um, <laughs> kind of kind of neat, neat the, the, those how those two are parallel together like that. Like Esposito is doing the inking in this one as he did in uh, 68 kind of wondering if they're sort of preparing him to take over the art chores though because little by little we see Kirby going from doing full on ink uh, full on pencils doing just layouts and uh, and Mike doing more of the more of the work but I think that's a little bit that might be around 1971 where that starts so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself mm-hmm. uh, it's funny how this the final panel says no our series is not yet over but you know meanwhile for Giant Man you know this one this issue did mark the end of his series oh so, right so yeah, I guess they would have had to make that differentiation because Iron Ant Man appeared first in the book, and then it wraps right, yeah. up the storyline and says goodbye to everybody. And then you read the Hulk, thinking that maybe that's going to be the same deal. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that panel is necessary yeah. there. It's kind of too bad for the next few issues of Astonish. I think they were trying to play up the Submariner so much that the Hulk really kind of gets shortchanged. You know, kind of like uh, like on seventy, we've got a little panel there. We don't see him at all in 71, and I don't think we see him on 72. And no, we see just a, a we, we, yeah, this is like, a, I think a floating Hulk face or something. Yeah, right. And, and, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, 70 was, you know, I think the last issue that we see Jack Kirby, like regular Jack Kirby artwork, as opposed to just layouts. Um, I feel like 69 had some great drama, as really, especially okay. when he's like breaking yeah. out of. Uh, uh, out of the cell and the conversation that, that Ross and Talbot have and Jones overhears it and stuff and there's just uh, for mm. 10 pages a lot happens in this one issue 
and the yep. the battle when Hulk breaks free of his uh, of his restraints and starts trashing the place. There's just some incredible artwork here. Um, on page nine, yeah. the explosion panel that's all in red with a splash of white, and the leader yeah. poking up yeah. from the hole with uh, surrounded by fires. Like there's some really really uh, cool stuff in here, uh, which we didn't see, especially yeah. in the Steve Ditko uh, issues. I felt like right. Steve kind of skimmed, yeah. and I don't know if this is his thing or if uh, this is just because of the inker. Like, there's barely any backgrounds. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah Jack Kirby was really the, you know, the, I think the king of drawing the Hulk and capturing the feel for it. And, mm-hmm. uh, really, yeah. Really nice panels. Yeah. Well, why don't you take us through number seventy? Yeah. So this one's called "To Live Again." I like the uh, the picture of the, uh, the plastic replica right at the beginning. It's very uh, kind of a very classic Kirby Hulk image. He doesn't look too monstrous, but he's got the, the good old bull haircut and the, yeah, <laughs> the over <laughs> the uh, the over brow, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, right. Um, one thing I've always loved about the Hulk is the uh, like the three panel transformations. Um, like at the bottom of page three, you slowly see him turning into the Hulk, um, and this uh, certainly brings back uh, this kind of motif or whatever we we saw in the first six issues where the banner takes over Hulk's brain again, has control of the Hulk's, or, or yeah, has control of the Hulk's body. So once again, we're seeing that, but of course, over the next few issues, again, you know, the monster kind of takes over more and we see banner talking more like a, like a thug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And, uh, like, I don't need nothing. So, you know, so <laughs> stuff like that. I like the panel, um, the panels on page six where, uh, Betty and, and Talbot are, are talking about Banner being dead and just the whole peering through and you know just it's, it's you know certainly the the tra- you know as we talked I think before the, the, just the tragic story of Bruce and Betty and how they could never just never quite get happiness but uh you know at this point he's like you know I can't turn back into Bruce Banner because I've got this bullet in my head yeah. um, so I've got to stay the Hulk and therefore I've lost you forever but um, the drama. The drama, it's, yeah, it's good, good pathos. So. And then meanwhile, there's this 50-foot humanoid. Yeah, I know. It's like, what else can we do with the humanoids, right? We've got like, one humanoid, four humanoids, powder humanoids that grow, and now, yeah, the, the huge, huge, huge galactic-sized humanoids. Yeah. So. And man, this um, the Sunday Punch missile on the last page of this issue. Yeah. How incredibly Jack right. Kirby is that missile there? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's so huge is, and looks so like a futuristic spaceship. Yeah, oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you that reminds me too. Um, you know, the leader asked for a billion dollars. You know, that's you know, that's a lot of money back in true sixty five. So yeah, you know, but he, I guess he figured he was worth it. So. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to seventy one here. This one's called yeah. "Like a Beast at Bay." And here we have uh, yeah. Jack Kirby is credited as just doing the layouts with Mickey Demio yeah. doing the awesome art. And uh, yes. it's not <laughs> as awesome as I think they claim to be. Right. But uh, but it's still good. It still works. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Though. In this one, General Ross uh, sees the Sunday or uses the Sunday Punch uh, missile to destroy the giant humanoid and then tracks the Hulk right. uh, to his cave and threatens to nuke it. The <laughs> leader makes a deal with the Hulk in order to save him um, from right. the from the exactly. nu- nuclear missile that's going to destroy him. <laughs> so, 
Man, General Ross is just, he's so careless with his nuclear yeah. weapons. He's just willing yeah, he's, to use them any old time. <laughs> yeah. It is funny, you know, just like what a J- Jonah Jameson type character he is. You know? Yeah. Ruthless. <laughs> Doesn't really think things through so well. And, no, uh, not at all. Has a great mustache and all that. <laughs> you know, I, you're saying this one, I, I certainly learned CTR from uh, page five, panel five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I think back then they don't want to show, you know, lip on lip contact. So they're uh, <laughs> just love how Hulk's right that's strong enough to just blow into his first mouth and wake him up. No kidding. <laughs> I try that, but I just come off as a weirdo. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hope you didn't eat onions first. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I like kind of the gentleness here of the Hulk um, in, page, in panel six here where he's kind of like, I don't know, kind of rubbing Rick's head or something to wake him up. But I, I just thought that was kind of sweet, you know, the, the you know the friendship they have. But yeah, you're right. They get, they get back to the cave and Ross is on their tail. And you know, yeah, the right thing has Hulk has no use to, but to, to go with the leader, follow the leader. So, one, oh, yeah, I just hasn't made his decision yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not in this one. So there's one yeah. uh, development that happens here that uh, because the Hulk has this bullet in his brain, he if he turns back to Bruce, he'll die. So he needs to use this machine that's in the cave to kind of pelt him with gamma radiation so that he stays the Hulk. So he has to return yeah. to this cave every other day in order to do this. And this uh, this this whole time limit kind of thing on your powers is a trope that Stan uses with most of his characters in the Silver Age here. Like if Thor is without his oh, cane yeah. for sixty seconds, he he turns back to uh, to Donald Blake, Iron Man. Right. His he constantly needs to be recharged. Mm-hmm. The torch will run out of his flame. Spider Man runs out of his webs. Like there's always this um, yeah. device built into the way their character works that gives them a time limit yeah. and. Uh, and Stan does that with the Hulk now here, but this only, that only lasts for yep. like another issue, fortunately. But you know, there are certainly times. That's an excellent point you make. I mean, there's certainly times in the future too. I think where we see Hulk in a really Hulk in dire straits, and then he's like, "Oh no, I'm turning back to Dan, or no, not now." You know, right, exactly. A, yeah, you know, it's a, kind of like a time thing there too. Yeah, so, the tropes of Stan are very interesting. You know, just to see the common themes there between the, between the different series that he was writing or co-writing. You know, mm-hmm. co- so we won't get into that debate. But <laughs> <laughs> you definitely ought to do a panel discussion sometime, you know, like <laughs> who did what. It's just, right. You know, save about six hours of your day aside. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then get a lot of angry letters after. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You won't, <laughs> you won't have any need for a Twitter, you know, Twitter post at that point, probably. <laughs> so, move on to 72? Yeah, let's do that. Hulk is kind of shortchanged on the cover here. Um, I just think. He kind sure of does. Like a lame face plastered on there. So yeah, this one, uh, you know, Hulk's got it. You know, he, you know, he's, he's, again, he's kind of starting to talk like a thug a little bit. Like, I don't need you or anybody. I'm still the Hulk and all that stuff. And so he's getting a little less banner. Yeah, and then uh, I guess yeah, and finally he he gives in to to the leader and says, okay, you know, we'll get me out of here. I'll, I'll work with you. Now we're seeing humanoids hatching out of shells, you know, eggshells. So bizarre. Kind of remind me of the mindless ones from uh from Ditko's Doctor Strange, you know, and uh mm. and Dumamu's own um uh but just uh it's kinda of like nothing but violent creatures. They just all they want to do is fight, fight, fight. So, <laughs> so, yeah, any thoughts you wanted to did I oh did we go over the title of this one yet? I can't remember. Um I don't remember either. Yeah, we did not. 
within the, that's right. Okay, what is it? What's the title? <laughs> within the monster dwells in the head. One thing that uh, the anchor here really does, I mean, like with Micah, he um, does some really good like Hulk under strain faces here. You can really kind of bring that out. I mean, we saw a couple of those where he sees Betty talking about like, oh, I can't believe Bruce is gone and all that stuff. And on you know, page eight here, um, panel uh, four, you know, he's uh, he's under a lot of strain because this gas, I guess, caused the reaction where he's turning back in a Bruce Banner. So oh, we've got other, we've got camouflage humanoids now as well, these, these green guys. So uh, another variation of, of the humanoids. Yeah, and they have clubs that zap you. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that same old, if I change, I die kind of thing again. Um, I feel like this is not Mickey, like Mickey Demio doesn't do this entire issue. Okay. Yeah. Because the a lot of the inking style is, I feel like it's very similar to what we'll see with Bob Powell in the next issue. Oh, okay. But um, yeah. so I don't know if like he had to um, yeah. help do okay. a couple issues or a couple pages here and there or something like that. But it's um, some of it's the same as what we've seen yeah. in the previous issue, but not all of it. So that's a good point, actually. Because I think Bob kind of makes, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but. Uh, Bob definitely makes the Hulk look a lot like uglier, you know? Yes, <laughs> a yeah. More, a lot more detail in the face that uh, looks like they'd win a beauty pageant. And just his style yeah, of um, shading as well. Um, he used a lot of uh, yeah. really um, detailed brush work kind of to, to indicate the shading, whereas Mike, sure. uh, Mickey Demio doesn't, doesn't do that. He's much more of a um, straight line kind of inker. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Huh. So that's just my observation there. Uh, we also see the that the leader is going to uh, attack the Submariner's kingdom. He has these amphibious. Oh, okay. What what page is this? Oh yeah. On page nine, he has these amphibious humanoids. Yeah. And since Hulk was sharing the book with Submariner, I I'm not sure if that actually happens. I didn't I didn't bother to look that up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it doesn't because um, Submariner is on. Uh, on a quest right now for the, I think for Neptune's tribe. I think that's kind of like the first story arc over there. Oh yeah, and that one takes like um, eight, eight or ten chapters or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But that's a good observation though. He's just trying to kind of tie the two together, which they do more effectively a little later on in this book. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You want to move on to seventy-three? Sure. This one is called Another World, Another Foe. And uh, like I mentioned before, Bob Powell it gets the art chores over top of Jack Kirby's layouts. And in this one here, here we're going in a very different direction all of a sudden in this book. The leader sends the Hulk to the planet of the Watcher to steal advanced technology. So what has so far been a fairly grounded book, now we're going to outer space to other worlds meeting aliens. So it's like of, it's just kind of out of left field. Yeah. But and first and also like how does the leader know about the watcher and everything that he has there? Pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. That's of a great telescope. Yeah, yeah. And there's a training montage of like the leader preparing Hulk for space travel. <laughs> and then <laughs> then he just sends it off. It's it's just a it is a very ridiculous issue. I like to have a uh, like Eye of the Tiger playing in my head, you know, when I when I the totally, yes. Yeah. Very rocky, very <laughs> yeah. rocky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. You know, say before about Bob Powell like making Hulk look really ugly. Like you know, page four, panel four. It's like that zoom in on his face. Just 
Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. It looks like this really, on page two, panel two, just looks like this really old kind of sad-looking person. He's not the handsome well, Hulk that we saw in those first few chapters of this book. Yeah, it's kind of cool, you know, to see the Marvel Universe, um, you know, more interaction. You know, it's, it does seem very unlikely that you would see the Hulk, like you said, you know, traveling to the moon, meeting the Watcher. That's not very the far cry from the desert or the deserts of New Mexico. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool to cool to see, you know, other characters um, showing up here. Um, and then we see this, uh, this fish guy. It's kind of like a... They do give him a name later on. His big opponent at the end there. So. Yeah, what is his name? Um, it's called. Oh, you know, it's Amphibion. It's that's his name, Amphibion. Um, oh, okay. So it's like Amphibion, but it's O N at the end. But they don't. I mean, he fights Hulk in yeah seventy three and seventy four, and then he shows doesn't show up again. I think until like number two seventy. Oh, he comes back. Wow. Yeah, and that's during the arc where we meet a rocket uh, rocket raccoon and all that. But uh, nice. Um, but then it's funny, he shows up again, like at number 473 and 474, somewhere, maybe a little bit earlier than that, actually, but uh, somewhere there about the final issues of the Hulk series before it's gone, before it goes to Volume 2 in 1999. But, uh, oh, okay. Um, it was kind of cool. It was like, two, it was like the 400th anniversary of Amphibion's first appearance or something. It just seemed <laughs> like it was, the timing was kind of funny, I thought. But <laughs> That's awesome. So, <laughs> Yeah, we have like you know, kind of like the Cosmic Cube. We have one of these, uh, one of these weapons or or instruments or whatever that you know, if, if used wrong, you know, can really can really mess up your day. Right. But if used correctly, can make you so powerful. So, um, of course, we see the consequences of that you know, a little bit later. So, yeah, let's go. On, let's keep yeah. on going here to the next issue. Sure. So number seventy-four, the Wisdom of the Watcher. Again, we have a, a tiny little Hulk panel here. He had a pretty good appearance on the cover to 73, I will say. That was a That's true. Artwork. But, uh, so it's funny, this time we have Jack doing, doing the layouts, Bob doing the drawing, and then, um, you know, Mickey, Demio, Demio doing the, uh, doing the inks as well. So it takes three people to, <laughs> wow. yeah. to deliver the art chores. Yeah. Can I, <laughs> did you want to, did you want to offer your thoughts on this one? Sure. Well, I'll just say that this is, um, in this issue, the Hulk battles a monster, the amphibian and then steals the watcher's ultimate weapon which in the end of this issue ends up killing the leader now this was a actually i liked this issue i like this conclusion to the story Mm -hmm. here Uh, a nice underwater battle where everything is uh, kind of in the blue tone yeah and uh, it has some you can really tell jack's layouts like they're this is a lot of these panels and poses are exactly uh exactly what jack would do and then just brought on, yes. brought together with Bob's uh, artwork and stuff. So that was cool. Uh, the whole thing, this whole yeah. thing with the leader, or sorry, with the Watcher. Mm-hmm. I know that the Watcher, he always, like he always says, I can't interfere, but then he always does. But this goes one <laughs> step further because he actually sort of orchestrates this battle between yeah. these two characters. Kind of interesting. That's true. That's true. Yeah. The watcher can be a little bit of a hypocrite sometimes. You know, it's, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not only does he interfere, like he, he teleports them to a different space so they won't wreck his house, and he translates <laughs> their speech so they can understand each other, and he even guides the Hulk and tells him what to do when the Hulk becomes more savage. <laughs> yeah, and it brings him right to the uh, 
what do they call this anyway? This they just call big, it the uh, ultimate the machine. Whatever, the, ultimate, the ultimate machine, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I do like the, you know, how he puts it on, you get like the three panel um, progression on page 10 where first it's like shock and then it's like agony and then it's just like dead face. And I love it. Sl- it's, that's <laughs> such a good forward, sequence. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this, I mean, this, you know, when you consider that the leader shows up at number 62, and here we're at 74, and he finally, you know, it's finally the end of, like, the, you know, fighting the leader. But it's like, wow, that's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of leader over the pretty much like a year-long story. And is this the yeah. first time we had a V end at the end of our of our story? Oh, it might be. Of course, I mean, we know, I mean, this continues right into the next the next issue. But right. yeah, this at least is a good stopping point, right? And uh, I want to say annual three, I think, when they reprint some of these issues, I think it ends with, with this one, but... Uh, so it's a good, uh, yeah, good, good finale. Um, you know, I do. I was glad, kind of, just as a reader, to, to see this come to an end. Though I was just getting kind of like too much leader, you know. And, yeah, I was looking forward to seeing a new direction. So. Yeah, let's keep on moving on uh, to issue number uh, seventy-five. This one's called "Not All My Power Can Save Me," and this is a, a new yeah. beginning. Although it, yeah, it continues on straight from the last issue because he still has that the ultimate weapon. He, he kind of right. takes it with him and starts leaping all over the place. Um, but the Hulk uses the weapon <laughs> and receives a message yes. from Rick Jones. <laughs> this weapon is like, and all of a sudden That's it's right. like it's half of a sphere so it can fit on his head, but it acts as like yeah. a, some sort of radio transmitter or receiver or something like that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> the other part of this uh, this episode is that um, General Ross is going through Banner's files and finds the blueprints to something called a T-gun. So he instructs his guys to build it, and they have no idea what it is or why they're building it, but they build it, and they're going to test it. Like, this thing could blow up the world, but they have no idea. <laughs> Let's just try it out. Yeah, it's, it's a little far-fetched. I mean, how the heck does Banner have time even to make a T-gun? Or we were to, to drop blueprints for one. He must have done it's it years ago. Faith, it's been a back-pocket idea that yeah, he's been waiting for the right time to bring to yeah. Ross. <laughs> Of course, it's, it works out so well too that, uh, well, yeah. Of course, they fire it on the Hulk. Is even poor old Hulk, but um, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, just on page uh, page five, they uh, they kind of panel two, uh, Rick's face near they kind of they superimpose that in panel six, with the thought balloon, and kind of reminded me of years later when uh, well, something like the, the issues that uh, that uh, Bendis would write, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, and uh, and some of the uh, sometimes with the art, they would just use the same picture. For like several panels on a page, yeah. Like if they're having a conversation, so it's just kind of funny. I wonder how hard back then it was to to use an image like that and and kind of copy it into another panel. And it looks it looks like they did that anyway, but uh, I think so. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know yeah. the the restoration. They probably this this page wasn't probably yeah. restored from a very good source, so a lot of the detail in that smaller picture of Rick Jones is lost. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, this is, you know, I've always found time travel stories pretty interesting, and um, it's kind of reminds me a little bit of Planet of the Apes. You know, instead of seeing the Statue of Liberty or the the hand or the torch, you know, as, as Charlton Heston does, now he, you know, Hulk shows Hulk sees a Lincoln statue and right. knows he's in the far future. So, yeah, so interesting. So he's gone, he's gone from outer space to the far future. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit different. 
one of the funny things in this one I, I thought was amusing is that uh, Rick Jones is put in prison and he tries to like flash his um, yeah. Avengers card but uh, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. it doesn't work it's like honest guys I'm an Avenger sure yeah. sure <laughs> it doesn't mean anything <laughs> and he's like no I have to go talk to the president you gotta get, let me call the White House and he must sound like a, right. a pretty crazy guy <laughs> yeah, it does seem like Avengers A1 priority had a little bit more importance later on but, um, yeah. than right now yeah <laughs> it's funny pull work yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah well why don't you take us through the next one this one I Against the World it's called and so yeah, Hulk's still in the far future we've got Penciling by Scott Edward I have no idea who that is that's uh, I'd be interested to know if that's a pen name for somebody or what but um, I don't think I've ever seen that name anywhere else have you ever heard that Scott Edward before? I have not, but maybe I'll just do a yeah. quick Google check to see. Right. I mean, it definitely sounds like I made that name, you know. Like, I, mean, I don't know. It just seems kind of, kind of that way. But yeah, we've got a. Uh, well, you know, one cool thing with this one, of course, at the end is uh, you know, Hulk uh, fighting armies from the future, and and of course at the end we see the Executioner, known uh, very well from the Thor stories. Oh, hey, guess what? Sorry to interrupt, but I just looked up Scott Edward. Yeah. It's actually Gil Kane. I, oh, isn't that funny? Okay, you know what? There was one panel I was looking at this, and it looked a little bit like his style. Isn't that? Okay, yeah. Cool. It doesn't look like Gil Kane's style. I guess maybe because it's uh, Kirby's layouts. Because we see a right. lot of Kane later on in this book, oh. and it's a completely different style. Yeah. But yeah, that's who wow. the internet tells me this is. Well, it's funny on page um, two, uh, page three, um, panel five, the guy there, his face sort of reminded me a little bit of like seventies Gil Kane. Yeah, bit. and uh, so I kind of thought like, oh, could that? But, I, but this is like a full year before uh, Gil shows up to do penciling chores on this, and I, I'd be interested to know if this might be one of his uh, Mar- maybe his first Marvel job. I'll be interesting to look that up. I actually like the artwork a lot on page five. Um, the conversation that the general General Ross is having with his superior, uh, pretty detailed work. I actually think it's almost like the art improves a little bit here. It does make you wonder again, like how much you know one person spent on you know like it, um, yeah, how much uh, how much of one person we see in a certain page versus another. This looks like it might be one of his very earliest. He's still working for DC at the time on Green Lantern and the Atom. Yeah. So, which is cool, why okay. he probably used a pen name. Okay, well, yeah, it's cool you looked that up, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, moving on to issue number 77. This one's called Bruce Banner is the Hulk. And um, yeah. Hulk holds his own against the uh, against the executioner of the future world. And this is kind of the conclusion to our future world story. Rick spills the beans about Bruce and Hulk. I think that's the biggest thing in this issue here. Yeah, he finally... Oh, sorry, I, I should mention, the, the the Executioner is the same Executioner as the Asgardian Executioner, but he's immortal, so that's why he appears in the future. <laughs> it doesn't look a day older than the 20th nope. century. So it's the age as well, yeah. But yeah, this is the one where, um, in a kind of a delirious state... Uh, Rick tells Talbot about Bruce, and uh, that this kind of sh- changes the this this sort of changes the conversations that people have behind the scenes now, um, because now they know about Bruce and and you know people have long suspected it, but no one's been able to prove it. Yeah, definitely a landmark issue. 
you've got a really classic cover, really well drawn, and a very classic Hulk image. And it's nice to see John Romita Sr. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Jr. would have been a little bit too young at this point, but um, nice to see his you know, his his um, inking, his pencil in and inking. Yeah. It looks really, I think it looks really good over it's um, great. John Kirby. Yeah. I always thought, you know, it's funny, uh, John Romita never was a regular penciler on the Hulk title, but I've always thought that he was maybe with a quintessential Hulk artist for me, just because a lot of the commercial, like seeing Hulk commercially in the 70s, the different products that had Hulk on them, they would tend to be drawn by John Romita. Okay. He was kind of like the stand, uh, go-to guy. And uh, so it's funny how, you know, to see the beginning right here of, um, of John Romita's work on, on the Hulk, but um, just a, yeah, very, just a, this is a very polished um, style. Probably, I would say, the best uh, art I've seen so far in this book as far as, you know, combining Jack Kirby, you know, his great layouts with, um, a, with a really great um, uh, penciler, inker as well. Yeah, I would say so. I agree with that. Yes, yes, certainly. Um, you know, it's sort of, you mean, certainly, like, you know, certainly, Rick is delirious. He thinks he, he thinks the Hulk is dead. He thinks Bruce is dead, therefore. So he's like, you know, what's it going to harm? Do, what, what harm is it going to do to tell Major Talbot finally that, you know, to get this uh, secret off my chest finally? So, yeah, I couldn't wait when I finished 77 to read 78. Just, uh, like, what's going to happen now? <laughs> and, uh, now that everybody knows. And this one, uh, number 78 is called The Hulk Must Die. And, of course, that's where we get our title for this epic volume. And we see Jack still doing the layouts, but now we have Bill Everett uh, doing the, uh, the finished artwork. Giving it a very, very different look. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, Bill Everett has, um, he puts a lot of tiny details into his, his yeah. work. And like yeah. when you see that guy who has the armor at the end, just the, in the last couple of pages when he's holding the armor, the little rivets and the, yeah. the shine on the armor. Sure. It's so fine that, uh, yeah, it it's, doesn't even look like Kirby at all. Like you can't see the Kirby in there. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, Bill was very good with, with detail like that. I was just on a side note, I was reading uh, Marvel Comics number one. I'm just sitting in the omnibus the other day, and um, the Submariner story, and that is so heads and tails above artwork. You know, the, the artwork is so heads and tails above everything else at that time because of the detail. Even in 1939, he was putting into um, his work. And you're right. I mean, this, this robot reminds me a lot of, like a Golden Age villain. Yeah, Bill's style is very much. He definitely imprints it on here. Kind of like on page eight, you see this three-panel progression where Hulk goes from smiling to <laughs> to like outraged. <laughs> yeah, like he goes from looking realistic to kind of cartoonish, but uh, but that's yeah, it's Bill's style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is a uh, yeah, just a uh, Professor Zach Zaxton, I think is his name, brought in uh, to study the Hulk or something, and then he ends up. But he wants to turn it over to Yeah, they were trying to, yeah, he wanted to duplicate the, condition, the conditions that made him the Hulk, that made, that make the Hulk the Hulk, but, uh, but he ends up wanting to be king of the world, of course. So, um, <laughs> I, I love that. So funny. But, oh, the panel, are you looking at the panel on page nine where it's like he's picturing himself as... As the king with the crown <laughs> and stuff, yeah. <laughs> the, right. <laughs> Classic villain there, yeah. Literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks sane as a regular guy and then maniacal um, with all the uh, regalia on. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting the uh, the choice they made for his armor because he is very, very similar to the way Iron Man looks. Um, well, yeah. I guess Iron Man didn't look like this at this time. But uh, 
but just recently in the past but in the beginning Iron Man would have looked like this oh sure I mean yeah definitely um, yeah in the first few months um, after he went from the gray armor to the to the gold he, he looked very much like this you're right um, the, like the eye holes are the same yeah um, if, he, if he just had a mouth hole it would be indistinguishable probably so yeah, like how bulky the armor looks. He's holding his helmet in his hand, in his arm on the first panel on page ten, and right. you get the feel for how big this stuff is. So, um, I don't want to say any more about that and move on to seventy nine. Let's move on to seventy nine. This one is called the Titan yeah. and the Torment, and uh, yeah, same team, same creative team doing the art chores here and writing, and uh, seventy nine. In this one, Hercules just happens to be passing by and tests his strength against the Hulk. I guess the first few pages, I, sh- I should say, um, quickly wrap up the, the story with Zaxxon. Um, it's very inconsequential. Yeah. The real fun is that Her- Hercules <laughs> is on a train, and if you, I guess people who have been reading Thor at the time um, would would know that Hercules is on this train because he's like being... Uh, coerced like, by this um, Hollywood mogul who's trying to get him into the movies but, and Hercules just wants yeah. to have fun and doesn't really know what's going on and I think right. there is one of the issues of Thor where they are traveling on a train and this is I guess one of the stops that they make on that journey oh that's awesome yeah that's where it turns out that Pluto is the uh, the director or the producer ends up being like the, the villain Pluto right? that's right yeah and they have a big fight <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so that is cool. I mean, just the, you know the, the magic of the Marvel universe, though. Like you said, you can you know you read the story, but it connects into a, a story in another series. But it's all one big, you know, it's all one big happy family of you know, different stories that kind of run together and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes are interweave. It's a you know, make sure. You know, it's, it's it's pretty good stuff. You know, I'm still amazed that they pulled it off in the cinema. You know, to to make you know a Marvel universe on screen like that. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's a so um, it's funny I like you know the way Bill draws his hands is like very very detailed um, like just looking at the Hulk's hand on page 6 panel 4 um, mm-hmm. uh, detail put into that oh we're talking about the detail anyway but uh, I've always kind of laughed at uh, <laughs> the more ridiculous panels I've seen here is uh, page 7 uh, panel 3 where Hercules is throwing Hulk around and Hulk's like, Whoa. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't really understand what sounds like that's supposed to be <laughs> he looks so uh, stout there and like like a tree trunk <laughs> this is the foreshortening or something but I love um, page I love page 8 with just the 9 panels yep. of Hercules and Hulk yeah, fighting here sure. it's very very well laid out yeah. I, I love it the, the detail is good and it yep. just uh, it flows really nice it's a good page yeah, I love you. Yeah, Hercules opens it out and then closes it on the Hulk. It's like, so, so easy. But, um, <laughs> I do love the Hulk. It looks like Hulk's giving him a hug from the, from the background. But, yeah, that's uh, true. Hug. But, uh, yeah, like, <laughs> but that p- panel, uh, p- panel four there, I'd love to, like, dub in other, um, um, I- I'd love to see, um, I don't know what I was going to say, suit, like, other, other captions put in that or other, um, uh, other um, word balloons. Yeah. Put in that one. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we can just get to some see what you know, other people dub in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to our uh, possible stopping point here. Uh, we've been recording for now about an hour and a half, and we're only 
just over halfway through. So I feel like this would be a good time to put a pause on this episode and resume our yep. talk in the next episode. Yes, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah, I appreciate your time today, and uh, um, and I'll uh, I'll be talking to you soon.